Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Father in heaven, as we come before you once again and sit under your word, we are grateful that you have comforted us in our affliction by your promises. Your promise gives us life. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? And Father, as we meditate on these words this morning, we pray that you would lead us Lead us to the one who gives life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When uh, disaster strikes, it's almost, uh, it almost immediately changes what we think about and then what we talk about with one another. Um, on the day after Christmas, December 26, 2004, an earthquake with an incredible 9.1 magnitude on the Richter scale happened in the Indian Ocean just off the coast of Indonesia and caused a terrible tsunami that then struck the coastal nations of Sri Lanka, uh, India, Maldives, Thailand, as well as Indonesia, uh, causing the most devastation mainly on the northwestern coast on the island of Sumatra in Indonesia where the death toll exceeded 150,000 people. The devastation was massive along uh, the coastlines of, of uh, these nations, destroying ocean resorts uh, along those beaches, killing tourists vacationing over the Christmas holiday as well as the Buddhist New Moon holiday was going on at the same time. In uh, Sri Lanka, an overcrowded train that ran down the coastline was engulfed by the tsunami, and it is estimated that over 1,700 passengers were killed, um, only an estimate, for it was impossible to recover all the bodies of the missing. During that time, I was in the middle of my seminary years, and uh, when I returned for classes for the 2005 January term, of course, this terrible disaster uh, was on our minds, came up quite often among the students and professors, uh, just thinking about the questions that the people in our country had, people all over the world had. Where was God in all this human devastation? Was this God's judgment on those nations? Did God send this tsunami, or did God just, just allow it to happen for some divine good that we wouldn't understand? 
what should be our response to such disaster? Well, in those days, I was greatly helped by an article that John Piper, uh, then pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, uh, wrote in response to all the questioning of God that was happening in the media at that time. Uh, Pastor Piper did what we all need to do when we have questions about God and disasters. He went to the scriptures. He went to, to the scriptures for his answers and he shared them. And this is just a bit of what he wrote in that article. He said, every deadly calamity is a merciful call from God for the living to repent. That was Jesus' stunning statement to those who brought him news of calamity. The Tower of Siloam had fallen and 18 people were crushed. What about this, Jesus? They asked. And he answered, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. From Luke 13. Piper goes on, the point of every deadly calamity is this, repent. Weep with those who weep, the Bible says, yes, but let us also weep for our own rebellion against the living God. Let our hearts be broken that God means so little to us. Grieve that he is a whipping boy to be blamed for pain, but not, pr not, not praised for pleasure. Lament that he makes headlines only when man mocks his power, but no headlines for 10,000 days of wrath withheld. Let us rend our hearts that we love life more than we love Jesus Christ. Let us cast ourselves on the mercy of our maker. He offers it through the death and resurrection of his son. So one key reality that is overlooked in times of great tragedy and disaster is that innocent lives are never lost. Innocent lives are never lost. None of the 240,000 people who were swept away in the tsunami were innocent. None of them were blameless. They were all under the condemnation of God for their sins, just like we are. For those who weren't spiritually prepared for that day, they quickly and unexpectedly came under the judgment of Almighty God. For God's word tells us in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. But some of those who died that day had repented of their sinful rebellion against God before the Lord sent that storm. They had cried out to him for mercy. And they had trusted in the mercy and grace that God has provided us in the life, death, and resurrection of his son. They knew that the Lord's mercy was their only hope, and they had thrown themselves on his mercy before it was too late. So the, the main theme from our passage this morning is that sinful man's only hope is that the Lord is merciful. Sinful man's only hope is that the Lord is merciful. So we pick up uh, our story here of Jonah in the fourth verse 
of chapter 1, so there really isn't much to review. Uh, just three verses before this. Jonah is a prophet. He's known as a servant of the Lord in Israel under the reign of King Jeroboam, uh, the son of Joash. That would be the second Jeroboam uh, that was king over the northern kingdom. And the word of the Lord has come to him. It's come to Jonah. And verse 2, we see the word of the Lord was for him to arise and go to Nineveh, go to this major city in the rival nation of Assyria, and he is to call out against it, for they were under the Lord's judgment. But instead of obeying the word of the Lord, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, buys a ticket for a trip to Tarshish across the Mediterranean Sea, and he runs away. He runs away from the presence of the Lord. Our passage shows us the Lord's response then to Jonah's disobedience and his attempt to flee his presence. And we then see two contrasting responses to the crisis that the Lord brings upon them. And then there's a question. There's a question that that hangs over this brief section uh, and really over the entire book of Jonah. And that question is, will the Lord be merciful? Will the Lord be merciful? What kind of God is the Lord? Is he a God that is merciful? So first we'll look at verse 4 of this paragraph, Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. The Lord threatens catastrophic judgment. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The very first word there in verse 4 shows us that what is described in this sentence is this direct response to Jonah's actions back in verse 3. Look back in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord, and then the next word we hear is but, or could be translated however, however, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The storm that Jonah's boat encounters on the sea is a direct response to Jonah's running away from the word of the Lord, running away from obeying the word of the Lord and trying to run away from the very presence of the Lord himself. The author wants us uh, wants to make that very clear to us. This, this storm was not just Jonah running into some bad luck uh, on his journey. Oh boy, poor Jonah. You know, he's trying to get away from the Lord, trying to get away from uh, this mission the Lord put him on, and wouldn't you know it, there's a storm. I mean, that's just, that's just Jonah's luck, isn't it? No, 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 that's not at all what we're supposed to think when we see this storm happening uh, as Jonah's trying to get away. This is the direct response from the Lord. He's trying to separate himself from the Lord and the Lord's call in his life. But the Lord responds. Again, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, but, or however, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there's a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. What did Jonah expect the Lord to do in response to his running away? 
what do we expect the Lord to do when we run away from him? When we directly disobey his word as Jonah has done here? What do we expect him to do? Do do we think that he won't notice that? Do we hope that, that he'll just let us go? Move on to somebody else? That, that, that he won't make any attempt to correct us or to come after us? What kind of God do we think he is? As I mentioned, Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom under King Jeroboam uh, II. He was uh, living in this time period of the book of Kings where time and time again the word of the Lord would be proclaimed to the kings of Israel and they would just ignore it or sometimes do the very opposite of what the word of the Lord said to do. King Ahab would be the prime example of this in uh, the book of Kings. Um, uh, he gets most of the attention out of all the kings uh, in that book, uh, in First and Second Kings. Over and over again, the word of the Lord uh, comes to Ahab through the Lord's prophets, primarily through the prophet Elijah. And time after time, Ahab refuses to listen. He refuses to repent. He refuses to change course. Even at the very end of his life, the prophet Micaiah uh, proclaims to him that if he does what he was planning on doing, that is to attack the Assyrians in order to reclaim the border city of Ramoth-Gilead, that he would be killed. That was the word of the Lord to Ahab through the prophet, and Ahab does it anyway. However, he does take a few precautions. He, he, he wears protective armor. Uh, uh, he even disguises himself so that the Assyrian army, if they came across him, wouldn't suspect that he was the king, and even convinced King Josaphat of Judah to dress up like a king so that they would think that he was the king of Israel and, and not him. But it says in 1 Kings 22-34, But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate, and Ahab ends up dying just as the word of the Lord warned would happen. We may try to run away from the word of the Lord. We may not take it seriously and just think that maybe we can get away from following it or honoring it. We are shown in the book of Kings. We're shown here in Jonah. We're shown here over and over again in the scriptures how foolish and dangerous it is for us to think that we can just ignore what God's word says. It will lead to disaster, as it does here for Jonah. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. That's a strong descriptive word here used for how this great wind came upon the sea in the path of Jonah's boat. It is hurled, or as some translations have it, through, like a, a major league baseball pitcher who, who, who hurled a fastball right at an opposing batter. The same word is used in 1 Samuel when King Saul hurled a spear at David, trying to pin David to the wall and kill him. 
the words also used down in, in, in verse 5, uh, describing how the sailors hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So again, th- this, is, this leaves us no doubt uh, as to what or who is the cause of this storm. God Almighty is the cause of the storm. He is the one who hurled it at them. And it was a terrible storm. We, we, we know this primarily by how the sailors responded to it. I mean, they were experienced sailors. They, they, they had encountered storms before on the sea. They, they knew what to do. They knew what to expect. But this mighty tempest was something extraordinary. They feared for their lives. They took drastic measures. The storm must have been ferocious for these experienced sailors to have become so frantic in their response to it. I don't know about you, but the worst possible place in the world to be when a storm hits is in the middle of an ocean. With all that's keeping you from from drowning and sinking to the bottom of that ocean are a few boards tied together. That, that was what they were experiencing. That was what they were dealing with. The way this verse ends is what brought the sailors the most terror. It says there was such a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The Hebrew pronunciation uh, of those last few words almost sounds like waves crashing against the side of the ship. It is Hishibah Lehishaber. Hishibah Lehishaber. The ship threatened to break up. The ship expected itself to crack up. So what was God doing with the storm? Was he punishing Jonah here? Was this his judgment against his sin? Well, it was definitely an awesome act of God's sovereignty over all things. Uh, that, that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, and he is in the heavens and does all that he pleases, that's being displayed here. But in Jonah's case in particular, what was going on here was that this was a warning for him. It's a warning of his judgment. This was the Lord saying, this storm is bad, it is, it is catastrophic, but facing me in judgment and being forever condemned to suffering my wrath will be far, far worse. There is an even greater catastrophic judgment that you will face unless you repent. Romans 2 speaks of that. Romans 2, 6 through 9 says this, he, meaning God, will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek. The Lord threatens this judgment upon all who reject his word, who turn away from him. 
who ignore it, who think they can get away from not honoring God. Second thing we see, there are the two responses to facing our impending judgment from verses 5 and 6. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. These two verses introduce for us this contrast in Jonah chapter 1 between the sailors and the servant of the Lord, between the pagans and the prophet. How do they respond to this terrible situation? And, and the contrast is incredibly striking. I mean, the mariners or the sailors were afraid. They, they feared for their lives. They believed the ship was not going to stay together. So, so they believed that, that they were about to be lost at sea, plunged into the waters in the middle of the Mediterranean with no hope of survival. So their response to this fear was first to, to, to each cry out to his God. This implies for us that they each had uh, different gods to, to, to cry out to. They were idolaters from, from different nations, different tribes, and they each had their own god or idol to, to call out to for help. Again, we are to have the, the book of Kings in our minds as we read uh, the book of Jonah. And there's one main story in 1 Kings 18 that stands out as a backdrop for what we see these sailors doing here. It's when Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal uh, to a showdown on, Mart, uh, on Mount Carmel. Uh, Baal's prophets were to make a sacrifice and call out to their God, and, and then Elijah would do the same. And the God who responded by sending fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice would be the true God that the Israelites were to serve. King Ahab agrees to this plan, and, and so they have this showdown. And the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, spent hours dancing around the sacrifice, calling out to Baal, even cutting themselves and shedding their own blood, trying to get the attention of their God. But as the author of 1 Kings Riley tells us in verse 29, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Why didn't anyone answer? Why didn't anyone pay attention? Well, because there was no God there to answer them. No God there to listen to them. There is no other God besides the Lord. These sailors here on Jonah's ship remind us of that. Here they are, desperately crying out to their gods. No one's answering no one's listening. No one's paying attention. They then took the drastic measure of hurling the ship's cargo into the water to, to lighten the ship so it would stay afloat. This shows us how precious life is to these men and to people in general. For they are willingly throwing away their goods, throwing away the very things that would have made them a lot of money. They did not hesitate to strip themselves of all that they had if only their lives would be saved. And we see this today. When, when someone who is 
fairly wealthy, receives a, a grave cancer diagnosis. They will then pay whatever price they can to try to get treatment in order to cure the cancer and restore their health, uh, traveling to some of the top medical clinics in the country to receive treatment, the, the Mayo Clinic in Rochester or the Cleveland Clinic, paying whatever it costs to receive the best treatment possible while their families stay in motels, hotels for, the, for weeks at a time, or even traveling to Mexico to receive treatment that's not available in our country due to FDA regulations. Again, willingly spending whatever it might cost to preserve just a few more months, just a few more years of life. The pagan sailors, like so many worldly people in our own day, seem to have a sense of dread at facing death. They fear what is to come next. Romans 1 tells us that all people, all people know that that God exists, that there is a God, although they spend their lives trying to suppress that truth by their unrighteousness. But when you come face to face with your mortality and you know that you are not in control of your life, all of a sudden this grave fear of facing this God, this God that you've been hiding from, this God that you've been running from your whole life, it comes into focus and you desperately try to stay alive. But Jonah, on the other hand, the one who knows that there really is a God, the one who also knows the character of this God and what he is capable of, and who knows that that he was in the very midst of disobeying and running away from this God, he doesn't seem to be concerned at all. In fact, he, he is sleeping soundly in the midst of this storm. While God is here threatening him with catastrophic judgment, Jonah snoozes without a care in the world and has to be awakened by the captain of the ship to join the others in crying out to his God for mercy. In his uh, comments on this passage, the 16th century reformer John Calvin wrote, Jonah certainly ought not to have slept so soundly. What he meant was that Jonah knew full well what he was guilty of. He knew that he was in rebellion against the Lord. And yet, he acted as if it was of no consequence. While these pagan sailors who did not know the Lord, who did not know the law of God, or the promises of God, were yet at least trembling before him and crying out for mercy even though they were completely ignorant of whom they ought to be praying to. Jonah here was like so many Americans today who who, who grew up going to church, grew up going to Sunday school. Uh, They may even be members of churches occasionally attending services to hear the word of the Lord preached and yet do not fear God's judgment on their lives at all. They ignore God's word. They they just sin like the rest of the world and really don't believe it makes much difference at all. They've not taken God's call to repent seriously. And they sleep soundly at night when they ought to be trembling. They ought to be fearing 
their impending judgment before God. They really have no idea who they are dealing with. They're heading for judgment and will face the wrath of God, which will be far more terrifying than being on a boat in the midst of a terrible storm in the middle of an ocean. Lastly, we see the question being posed here by the captain and by us readers. Will the Lord be merciful? Will the Lord be merciful? So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Again, the captain can't believe Jonah is sleeping so soundly. This, this pagan captain rebukes him, rebukes him for his spiritual indifference. He actually uses the same words that the Lord used in calling Jonah to action in verse 2. Except here, Jonah is to arise and call out to God rather than call out against Nineveh. Then in the last line of verse 6, the captain provides us with the question that hangs over these verses. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah's God is, of course, the one and only God. Yahweh, the Lord, he he is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, as Jonah describes him in verse 9. This is a similar question that, that you may have pondered before then, especially during a time of crisis. Will, he be, will this God give a thought to us? Will this God have mercy on us? Is he aware of what is going on? Does he even care? When I'm asked questions like this by others who are going through a very difficult time, I love to take them to the last verses of Exodus chapter 2. Uh, the first two chapters of Exodus uh, describe this, this terrible situation uh, that the descendants of, of Israel uh, found themselves in, in Egypt. Uh, the Pharaoh had forced them to, to kill their baby boys, and then he put them under forced slavery. Uh, the power and strength of the nation of, of Egypt uh, was, was ruling over them, oppressing them, pushing them down, and they were crying out to God in much the same way that the captain and the sailors were doing to their gods here on Jonah's ship. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, we read, Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. That, of course, is the introductory message just before God calls Moses into his service to deliver his people out of Egypt. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. The captain was wondering, and desperately hoping that Jonah's God would be merciful, that he would be compassionate, 
that, that he would be able to save them. And we have the great privilege of, of having the scriptures. And, and so, so we know that, that that is exactly what the Lord is like. That's who he is. Over and over again in the Psalms, we hear the refrain, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We know the story of, of how the Lord had mercy on his people and redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. He made them his people. He gave them his promises. And when we call out to him today and repent of our sin and plead for his mercy to save us from judgment, he responds to our humble prayers with grace and forgiveness. For at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The captain's longing is that Jonah's God would have mercy on them and be able to save them, as he says, so that we may not perish. They were facing his power. They were terrified of his wrath. And they feared for their lives and for their eternal souls. They feared death and facing the judgment to come as we ought to as well. But the good news for sinners like us is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sends storms into our lives in order to get our attention. God sends calamity to wake us up to our situation in our sin and rebellion. We are all heading for that great day of judgment when we will stand before him and he wants us to prepare for that day. Are you prepared? Are you ready? As one Bible teacher put it that I really found helpful, he says, God delights far more in his mercy than in his wrath. So in order to show the priority of his mercy, he must place it against the backdrop of his wrath. How could God's mercy appear fully as his great mercy unless it was extended to people who were under his wrath and therefore could only ask for mercy? It would be impossible for them to share with God the delight he has in his mercy unless they saw clearly the awfulness of the almighty wrath from which his mercy delivers them. If we don't know his wrath, if we're not afraid of his judgment, we'll never seek his mercy. We will see next week the joy and delight that these sailors will express in the mercy of God, saving them from his wrath. The question for us is how much are we delighting in that incredible mercy of God? Are we delighting in it so much as to share the news of it with others who are right now currently under God's condemnation and heading for judgment themselves? God showed Jonah and the idolatrous sailors a glimpse of the catastrophic judgment that awaited those who ignored and rejected him in this storm, and he has also shown us glimpses of it as well. 
in the tsunamis and the wildfires and the deadly storms that we have witnessed in this fallen, sinful world. The point of every deadly calamity for us is to repent, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Will we get the message? Will we repent and seek his mercy? Cast yourselves on the mercy of your maker. It is your only hope. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we um, consider this passage this morning and think about the situation Jonah and the sailors were in, and we know, we know so many other people have been in similar situations. And we know that one day, each of us will be at death's door as well. Lord, I pray you would work in the hearts of each one of us this morning that we would be trusting in Christ alone and his mercy and his grace for our salvation, that we would have eternal life and not have to fear the coming judgment, that we would be right in your eyes through Christ alone. Oh, Lord, I pray this for everyone here. Have mercy on us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.